This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. This is Cheryl Arkell from Better Reading. This is a slightly unusual podcast today. We've got, I'm going to not get this right, but I'm going to have a go. We've got Easter Belfrage. Is that right? Easter Belfrage, yeah. Okay. We've got Easter Belfrage here and we've got Yotamoto Lengi. I mean, that is a name I'm quite familiar with. They are with us live from London on Zoom and we're talking about the brand new book, which has already hit the bestseller list here in Australia. And I think it's only been out for a week or so, or since the 1st of September, and it's on the non-fiction bestseller list, which you'll probably know. Anyway, the book is called Flavour. So congratulations to you both. Thank you. It really is quite beautiful. And, you know, every time I see Ottolenghi book, I think, could there possibly be any more exciting recipes? And there is. <laughs> there is. So tell me about the collaboration, because what I'm noticing here with you, Yotam, is that, you know, you did desserts with Helen Go, that you, I guess, people you work with and the work that you admire, you champion and encourage. Is that right? Is that what's happening? And, and you kind yeah. of, they work under your brand. Tell me how that works. Um, so it's essentially uh, the majority of the books that I publish are collaborations and, um, I have published books that were not of that nature in the past, like plenty and plenty more. But mo- the majority of the books are collaborations because for a number of reasons, the, the, I guess the most important one is that I think these uh, yield the most exciting books. Uh, so, you know, when there is a, uh, when, you know, I've published quite a lot of recipes over the years and I, I guess I could have carried on publishing those recipes but when someone else comes into the picture it's just another fresh insight on the subject whatever the subject is so as you said Cheryl I worked with Helen I worked with Scully I worked with Sammy um, in this book I'm working with Eastan and I think one of the things that became apparent to me when I suggested to Easter to write this book uh, was that I will have a whole different perspective on the subject of vegetables because I have two vegetable focus books that were published previously, uh, plenty and plenty more. And I really wanted um, a fresh pair of eyes or, you know, or, or, or a fresh uh, palette and Anista has that. And so, so many of the recipes in a book are uh, in a way a reflection of that fresh uh, outlook, which is Easter's outlook. But the way I look at food, um, and particularly where you and I come from, because you're from Jerusalem originally, and I'm from, my parents are from the Middle East, from Lebanon, is that cooking is a collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we sometimes forget because we watch all these cookery competitions <laughs> that it really is a collaboration by nature. People do it together. You know, TV gives you a slightly skewed 
a, a version of reality where you, of course, anything can be turned into a competition. My two young boys were seven and five. A everything they do is a competition. Even going up the stairs to, to their bedroom is a competition who's going to get there first. But when you become a little bit more mature, there's no need for that. And no. I think, and I think that's, that's the lovely thing about these collaborations. I mean, everybody is a winner, really, I think. Uh, from the, I've felt like that for a very long time. I'm defi I definitely benefit from, from these collaborations. I think the other side does. So maybe uh, East is very creative. Sometimes I say, oh, maybe we could hold back something or maybe we could uh, put it in a different context or how do we... So I've got something to offer. She's got something to offer. And what we get at the end is something exciting. So I, I just think, yeah, absolutely. There is no Do you know one of my favourite all-time things? Well, what, my first all-time thing is cooking and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and COVID's been very good for that. Um, initially, do you know what happened to me in the first part of isolation? And I'd be interested to know what, if this happened to either of you. I live by myself and what I realised in the first three weeks of strict lockdown is food and wine is associated with people. And so I didn't cook for ages. I just couldn't get inspired because there was nobody coming over to eat my food. And that took a really lot of getting used to. But anyway, I love cooking. That's my first love. But my second love, I think it's, this is one of the greatest intimate acts, is to have somebody in the kitchen cooking with you side by side. I love that. Yeah. And you're tasting and chopping and doing this and doing that. It's really one of my favourite things. So tell me, how did you come to food, Esther? Um, well, I've, I've sort of grown up always loving food. I always say that I've been thinking about food since I had conscious thought and it was always, cooking always came naturally to me as a kid. My, my mother's Brazilian and um, uh, grew up in Cuba um, and my father had a lot of family in Mexico, but we actually grew up in Italy. So I was exposed wow. to a lot of different uh, food cultures from a very young age and I knew I loved incredible food. And at home, unfortunately, my mum's not the best cook and that sort of, that used to upset me. So I think I just taught myself to cook, having absorbed everything I'd seen and eaten because, because of that. Um, but yeah, I've always been totally obsessed with food. And it's, it, for me, it, cooking is really the only thing that comes totally naturally. I mean, I didn't go to cooking school and I don't think you necessarily need to. No. Um, and yeah, it just comes very naturally. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's the search of flavour. I think that Absolutely. that's what cooking's about, you know, that you're always striving for flavour. I undertook, and I don't want you two to criticise me about this, but I started making sourdough. However, I did start pre-COVID, right? So let me just put <laughs> that up front. And in January, I think it was, I took a cooking class in San Francisco at a place called The Mill. I don't know if you know it. Great, you know, um, sourdough bread there. And I took this cooking class and I said to him, well, you know, the, the guy that ran the course, I said, well, that's it. You must be the complete master at this. And he said, no, 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 no. You never master <laughs> bread. That's why you keep making it. Oh, that's interesting. I, I actually never, I never, weirdly enough, I never make bread and I, I've never even made sourdough, not even during lockdown. <laughs> but don't you <laughs> no, think that's no. the same with food? We actually never master a dish. That's why we keep doing it. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. I think every time you cook something that you love cooking, you, um, you look at it afresh. And there is something, like I look at old recipes that I've published because I guess as someone who publishes, you've got this kind of almost like a diary of, of, of things that you've cooked or you've been involved in, in developing. And 
I always think, oh, I, I would do it differently next time. You know, I would, I, even when I cook it, I go like, oh, I'd like, why is there basil and not tarragon there, you know, or both? You know, it's like this, this kind of, the, the instinct is to constantly question. And, and I think that's, that's just the nature of hu- creative human activity. You always want to look fresh. You want to always want to improve. But also I feel that is a bit philosophical. Like every time you cook, you're a different person. And I think that is also reflected in the food. You are not the same person that you were yesterday. And you're definitely not the same person that you, you were a year ago. So you would cook it differently. Yeah, that's so I true. I definitely found that with a, 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 through the process of making flavor, actually, because um, a lot of the recipes were, you know, sl- maybe slightly older and we hadn't cooked them in a while. Well, not, I mean, you know, a, a year or two old. Um, and then when we came to sort of retest the recipes for the book, I started I'm like, well, why didn't I do that? And why didn't I add rating? Because I knew, you know, I, this is not the stage to be making changes and we did you know we did like these so um but yeah there's always a temptation to to change something or to improve it every time you make it now i know yotam's path to cooking and how he got there tell me how you got to otolenghi i well so i uh, did a lots of random jobs i actually lived in australia for a few years just before i got professionally yeah and i uh, i worked as a travel agent and um, I really hated that and I didn't have a degree. So I decided to come back to England so I could study design. And I, I hated that too. And then I just, my, my, you know, the one thing that I loved more than anything was cooking. And my sister just sort of said, like, why, why don't you do it professionally? And for some reason it had never occurred to me, but literally the next day I decided to start up my own little catering company um, and a little market store. Start small. Start I, it small. was very small, but it was already... <laughs> But it was already very, very tricky. Um, And I realized that, you know, I can't really do this without proper, proper industry uh, experience. So that's when I decided to start applying to restaurants. And I thought, well, there's no chance that anyone will take me because I don't have any experience. But Noppy took me. And yeah, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, really. They, uh, I sent out a bunch of CVs one night. The next morning, they were calling me in for a trial and they gave me a chance and the rest is history. <laughs> so what do you look for when you're hiring people, Yotam? What is it that you look for? What makes somebody you think has got a potential when it comes to food, particularly when they have no experience? Yeah, well, it's not no experience. Easter had lots of experience, but of not that type. You know, she hasn't been had restaurants experience, but she had a lot of experience cooking, which was almost, uh, I think, actually an advantage because um, restaurant chefs often, not always, but often, are trained in a particular way. But I'm not creating, at the test kitchen, we're not creating food for restaurants. Some of the dishes that we develop in the test, in the test, kitchen, in the test kitchen ends up in the restaurant. But the Otolenghi test kitchen is predominantly for cookbooks and other publications where the recipes appear. So they're, they're really for home cooks. So it really helps that the people that develop the recipes can take on that perspective, the perspective of home cooks. So that's the one requirement, you know, so someone who could put a great meal on a table for five or six people is in one skill, but, you know, doing service for 120 people in a business is a completely different skill. This is, this is not the same skill set. So I think Easter's inexperience is actually was great experience. And, um, if, and that, so that's one thing. The other thing is the ability to, to think on their feet. Because, you know, when you cook something, so often, sometimes it's, uh, I, I put ideas in, in the testers' heads, but more often than not, it's their own ideas that they develop. And 
when you start off with something, you need to have a lot of flexibility because it often meanders and turns into something different. And for that, you need to be quite, um, you know, just a good cook to know how you can transform something, change something to something else that would still be delicious, uh, to be able to work with a wide range of ingredients and know how to match them and to, you know, create, create some creativity in the, in the broader sense of the word, you know, not just cooking something, but actually how, how do you present it? How do you talk about it? How, where do you place it in a meal, etc. So it's a whole big range of skills that Easter hair had. Whenever I hire someone to a desk kitchen, it's quite difficult. I've had a few people come in and in and out of the door because I never quite know exactly. It's very hard to interview for that or even after a day or two to know. It takes a bit longer than that to see how people uh, react. So, But Easter had that. And I think her interesting background or her varied background with lots of different things that she's done has really contributed because she cooks so well in so many, in so many cooking traditions and um, that actually are not mine. So, you know, I didn't really know much about Mexican cooking apart until I met Easter. Um, it's a huge asset. Oh, so absolutely. that's how it goes. Do you know, I noticed, uh, I'll come back to this, but I noticed the food has kind of got an Asian flavor throughout as well. Mm. You know, there, there's definitely that through. Yeah. But before I get to that, this is like a really practical question. But when you're working in a test kitchen, who does all the shop? Like, is it that you just look at the array of produce <laughs> and think, what am I going to do? Or do you write a list for somebody to bring in that well it's quite the test kitchen is um i think people expect it to be a large operation but it's it's quite a small it's a small kitchen and it's usually just two of us testing so we have orders every day and we kind of usually we cook in the morning and then the afternoon we assess how well the recipes have gone that day what we might need to make the next day uh, and then yeah we we order we um, order our ingredients online and they arrive the next morning and that we kind of do that every day yeah. Are you planning ahead for that? Or are you thinking, oh, tomorrow? Oh. Uh, yeah. So it's, I think I would say it's a mix. Well, for me personally, it's a mixture of planning ahead and thinking on your feet because you, for example, you might plan to do a recipe tomorrow, but then you might also need to redo one that may not have been finalized that day. So it's a sort of mix of planning ahead and just having to think on your feet to improve a recipe that you might have made that day. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Has COVID affected your cooking life? Like I know it's affected your business enormously, Mm Yosha, but how has it affected your personal life in terms of eating and cooking? 
Um, so it depends on which bit of the pandemic we're talking about. So during the total lockdown that we had in uh, April and May, uh, and a bit of March, um, I was spending all my time with my husband, Carl, and our two young children. Yeah. And um, the majority of the cooking that was going on was for the kids because, you know, they didn't have any activities that didn't involve being with us. So there were three meals to be put on the table. And I did find myself cooking in that vein for that amount of time, which actually already did before that because I don't do much cooking at home that doesn't involve children at the moment. You know, of course, we have dinner sometimes, but mostly it's just we're too tired anyway in the evening. So it's like mostly it's just cooking for the kids, which Carl does a lot and I do a bit. And um, so there was a lot of things that weren't, you know, quite starchy because the kids love like potatoes and pasta and rice and all those things. So there were a lot of those going like rice cakes and, and fritters and things to do with leftover bread. We did like, we always had, because you also, there was, there was a certain frugality that you had to, um, to adopt because you know you could you couldn't waste anything and there was also you you didn't have everything so bread was like a big thing so we had savory bread puddings and and sweet uh, French toasts in the morning and all sorts of uh, uh, so it's sometimes I would make French toast and then I had a bit of the uh, uh, the, the batter for for dipping it that turned into um, creme anglaise for desserts for the next day. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Uh, a lot of one pot things, you know, where you, and, and that I think I kind of perfected because the kids love that when, especially when it comes to pasta, when you make a sauce and you throw in raw pasta and then just cook that dried raw pasta and that cook that in the oven. So you get a crust on the bottom and a crust on top and they absolutely Love. So these were the kind of things that I, that I was cooking and actually really enjoying. And to, and to get them to react positively to, to food is the most joyful thing that you get as a parent. It's just, it's just it's instant gratification. Absolutely. What about you? Um, I found that I was making a lot of uh, sauces and condiments and oils and things like that and keeping them in the fridge to sort of enhance uh, everyday meals so I didn't have to sort of cook three exciting meals a day. Um, so I don't know if you've noticed the, the flavour bombs section of the book at the I back have. of the book where we sort of I've highlight. I've one, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's I, I really think that's one of my favourite parts of the book and yeah. um, as you've seen, we highlight the sort of recipes within recipes for butters and oils and marinades and so forth. And the idea is that you may not have time to cook all of these recipes in their entirety in the book, but if you, you know, if you make a few oils and a few charred chili sauces or whatever and have them in your fridge, then you can really enhance everyday meals. And I was doing that. I had the numbing oil on the go throughout lockdown. I was putting that on everything and the charred chili salsa as well. And it's not in the book, but, um, we have a recipe for a sambal that was part of a nazi goreng recipe and I was using that in lots of different contexts. So as a dipping sauce, as a base of a curry, I used to, you know, fry it up and then add coconut milk and then let that reduce. And yeah, so flavour bombs was was how I was cooking during lockdown. You know, I've got to blame Tara for this, Tara Wigley. She introduced me to shutter. We talked about oh, yeah. <laughs> when we were uh, talking about Palestine. And I think, I don't know how long that, book's been out but I think I've made six jars and finished them I'm not surprised 
<laughs> it's kind of crazy. Okay, so it took me I probably getting through because I always I'm a cookbook reader, so I'll always read from front to back. Mm. But it took me I think I was three quarters through it when I realized it was vegetables only. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? I love that. That's really nice to know. <laughs> yeah. I had I hadn't a clue until I just like I don't know. I just didn't, it didn't dawn on me until I nearly finished it that I hadn't come across any meat recipes and I'm a big meat, you know, I, I mean, I'm being more mindful about my meat consumption, but I do eat red meat and I do eat chicken and I do eat fish, but there's none of that. Talk to me about that. Are you a vegetarian yourself or is it just you love to cook vegetables and add beautiful flavor to them? Um, neither of us are vegetarians. Easter and I are quite similar in that respect, but uh, for me, um, it's always been, I think the most exciting dishes are vegetable-focused mm-hmm. dishes. Of course, there's some great recipes out there that I've published over the years or uh, Easter worked on with me in The Guardian and in the Times. recipes they published are absolutely not vegetarian. But I think vegetables have so much potential. And I think the fact that you haven't missed your protein while reading the book is uh, it kind of proves that. The fact that, that you can really get squeezed flavor out of vegetables in a way that uh, is really unparalleled with other, ingre- with other uh, food products um, is, 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 a, is, a, is a proof of how good vegetables are. And I think one of the things that was very clear to me about this book is that obviously people are really keen on eating more vegetables and reducing their meat consumption. Uh, but as I write in the introduction, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about changing people's habits necessarily. It's about just showing them, putting out there how wonderful vegetables are and how great they could be. And, and I think that was a challenge. And I often find that these challenges are so creative because I think some of the best ideas in this book are a result of the fact that a meat dish may have been a cue, but we've kind of created something completely different. Your ultimate reminded me, and you, you probably uh, remember this. Well, I grew up in Australia. People were eating meat and three veg. And, you know, the, the kids that I went to school with, you know, that, oh, peas are awful, beans are awful, whatever. But here I was at home and my mum's making lubia and my mum's making, I didn't have that perception of vegetables. Like all the vegetables that I was eating were Lebanese food and I was getting the intense flavour. But so many kids, you know, I'd, I'd hear even, even recently, I'd hear parents saying, oh, you know, how are we going to get out? kids to eat vegetables well you know what you just need to get an otterlingy cookbook and they'll be eating vegetables wouldn't they uh, well you know kids are just very different in a sense i think they are naturally gravitating towards the familiar and i think vegetables can seem a bit unfamiliar occasionally and that you do need to uh, familiarize and do exciting things with them but yeah, I mean, they're just simply great. And, and, and when, when we were doing this, the point of this book, really, I mean, once we've kind of assembled the recipes, was to <clears throat> show how these amazing flavors occur. How do you can take a familiar thing like a carrot or a cauliflower or a potato or a kohlrabi and turn it into something quite magnificent. So we talk a lot about that in our section openings. What's the process? What's going on? What is it that I'm eating that makes me think, wow, that's so delicious. It really doesn't taste like a cucumber anymore. Those transformations are really important. Or enhances the flavor of the cucumber. One of my favorite recipes was the beetroot with the lime leaf. 
butter. Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely delicious. And I just, I mean, I love beetroot anyway. I like them boiled just on their own, whatever. But that, I think, just really enhanced the flavour of beetroot for me. So I've made that one twice. And the tagatelli with ricotta. I mean, just adding the simple idea of adding saffron um, really just took that to another level and one tiny little ingredient. So I, I think you're both superstars. Now, we've got to finish up soon, but I look after my great nephew every Monday and he's seven and he's, he's really, he's a great eater. He's not fussy. He's lucky to have me cooking for him on a Monday night. But one of the games that we play is what's our favourite food. So what's our favourite vegetables, what's our favourite fruit, you know, et cetera. So I'm going to, I'm going to put that on you. My favourite food. Fruit. Oh, fruit, 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 ah, fruit. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's much easier. Yeah. Thank you. No, we've got <laughs> them in categories. We play it in categories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite fruit is a really, really, really good peach. Yeah. And uh, we go to um, Greece uh, in the summer in when in normal times, and uh, there's just these incredible orange peaches that are just like so sweet and so juicy. And I think that experience of eating those peaches in, in Greece in the summer is like nothing else. I can't think of, of a better fruit to eat than a peach. Okay. Favorite vegetable? Uh, favorite vegetable. It really does vary. I think I used, I used to be really kind of completely, I would say, aubergine first thing, but now it's... It's a cauliflower, but maybe more recently it's a celeriac. You know, this is kind of, it's very difficult. In this book, I guess, if talking about this book, I think it needs to be a celeriac because we've got celeriac three ways. Yeah. And uh, a a whole roasted head of celeriac, which is, gets three incarnations. One of them is like a little veggie taco. And another one is with a a sweet chili dressing. And a third one was with a creamy cafe de Paris sauce, like a steak. And, and I just think I love that versatility and it's just so wonderful. So, yeah, I'll choose celeriac today for this conversation. Okay, all right, because cauliflower would be my vegetable and cherries is my fruit. Now you, sure. over to you, Easter, what, what do you think? We play this game every Monday, so it does change. <laughs> well, I'm inspired by the peach, but um, I do also love a, a really good mango. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely up there, but it has to be, you know, really good mango on the beach. In Brazil. Yeah. yeah, it's got to be location, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and favourite vegetable? I oh, it's, a guess, it's a bit of a hard one because I'd say I kind of, I'd have a favourite sort of green leafy veg and then a favourite more tuberous veg. So I'd say my okay, favourite we'll veg is um, morning glory right. or um, water spinach, as it's also sometimes called. Because I love that the, the stalks are sort of crunchy and hollow and then the leaves... And then I'd say for my favourite sort of tuberous, I love kohlrabi. I, I love kohlrabi, yeah, especially wow. roasted. Yeah, okay, wow. Mm. Okay, well, I'm not going to take up any of your time, any more of your time. Um, thank you both for chatting with me. Congratulations on the book. It's already on the bestseller list, so it's going to keep selling. And you're super talented, and I guess this is really, I mean, just the beginning of book publishing for you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Autumn. Uh, it's a shame Cheryl. I couldn't cook for you this time. Last time I made you cake. I know. You I remember? did. You did. It was so good. I wish you could have sent it over, transported some kippy for me now yeah. and have yes. that happily. I haven't had breakfast yet, so I'm starving. So remember <laughs> that you. was the problem? Remember you posted your breakfast and everybody was being critical because you're in a Oh, hotel. yes, because it was some silly uh, hotel breakfast, wasn't it? Yes, that's I can't right. even remember what I posted. <laughs> that's right. 
<laughs> anyway, thank you so much for your time. And again, well done. The book is called Flavor. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.